All right. Good morning. How are you guys doing today? Good. All right. Good, good, good. Well, we're going to be talking about the gospel today, God's word. That's really what our whole series is going to be about. Um, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Matt Wolf. This is my third week as the lead pastor here at this church. So if you're like, I've never seen you before, that's okay. That's okay. I probably haven't seen you either. So let's get to know each other. Um, but it's great to see you, um, those of you who have been coming, maybe starting just as long as I have. Um, I really want to get to know afterwards. And if I forget your name, introduce yourself again, please. Um, but it's so good to see you. So this series that we're in, um, we're in just now the second week. And it's a series that I'm calling 100% Pure or Non-GMO Good News. Because we're talking about the gospel in the book of Galatians. We want to get it right, 100% pure. We don't want it important because it can transform your life. For the better, if you get it right or if you get it wrong, could really lead to some bad things in your life. And that's what this whole series is about. And we're going to be in the second half of Galatians chapter 1. So we're starting in verse 11 if you have your Bible um, with you. And you can use your smartphone. I'm going to have it up here on the screen too in case you didn't get it if you're taking notes. Larger chunk than we did last week. So I'm not going to read every verse. But every verse and every word is important. So read it on your own. Okay? You can do that, right? We're just not going to be able to cover every single word Today in this message. Well, we're in this series, um, and you know, it's it's kind of a joke about 100% organic because you see all those labels on everything. Um, but what I think most of us want to do is we want to make sure we get it right. And last week, that's what I talked about. Does anybody remember my big idea from last week? With the gospel, there are no preservatives. Was one of them additives, substitutes, or modifications. We don't want anything to mess with the gospel. We want the true gospel, and that's it. And then I asked at the end, hey, if there's any questions, stop me now, because I, want, I don't want to go forward until everyone knows what the gospel is, and then we got it right, and then we can move forward and talk about how it changes our lives. And there was a question that came in, and I wanted to address it, because it perfectly fit this week. Um, it was a question, of, well, well, how can I trust your gospel, Matt? How can I trust it? How do I know what you're saying is right. How do I know that it goes back to Jesus? How do I know that it's true? And I think that's a brilliant question. And it's the question that Paul addressed in the letter to the Galatians that he wrote 2,000 years ago. So that's what we're going to talk about today because we have questions about that. How can I trust the gospel? How can I trust this Bible? Where did it come from? Uh, some of you have read um, great fiction books like Da Vinci Code and you say, whoa, how, do, how can we trust the Bible? Just a reminder that is fiction. But then you hear others. There's, you know, scholars that you see on the History Channel or on CNN, and they say, well, we don't know if we can trust the Bible. And there's these people with degrees and doctors, and you say, well, I don't know if they say we can't trust the Bible. Can we? And that's what we're going to clear up today. So if you're here today and you're saying, I, I, I don't know if I can trust the Bible, I'm really glad you're here. And I'm going to try to convince you by showing you God's word and where it came from. And that's what Paul addresses too. Because it is good. It is true in itself. And I think as you read it, as you study it, as you keep coming back and hearing this gospel, this Bible preach, you're going to say, whoa, it is true. But if you're here and you're saying, well, I, I do have some doubts every once in a while. I believe it. That this message is for you too. Because I want everyone here to be strengthened in their faith and knowledge of where we got the Bible from. That we can trust it. That it's reliable. That we need to read it, study it, apply it to our lives, live it out. And it's going to change our lives for the better. So, um, you know, uh, 
one of the things that we talk about that, that part of this series, Organic, Non-GMO, I mentioned it last week was about, you know, you want to know the source of your food. Isn't that the, the thing now, too? It's like it has to be locally sourced from like a farm in state. And, and when you go to some grocery stores, they're like, these pears came from the state of Colorado. And they tell you where your food is from. The people care about this. And, and I, I saw this TV show, and I've only seen it once, but I, I thought this section of this TV show, Portlandia, was so good. I wanted to show it to you. Kind of a joke, but but you'll see. Hi, hello. Hi, hello. My name is Dana. I'll be uh, taking care of you today. If you have any questions about the menu, please let me know. I guess I do have a question about the chicken. If you could just tell us a little bit more about it. Uh, the chicken is a heritage breed, uh, woodland-raised chicken that's been fed a diet of sheep's milk, soy, and hazelnuts. Okay, this is this is local. Yes, absolutely. Okay. I'm going to ask you just one more time, and it's local. It is. Is that USDA organic or Oregon organic or Portland organic? It's just all across the board organic. The hazelnuts, these are local. Uh, how big is the area where the chickens are able to roam free? I'm sorry to interrupt. I have exactly the same question. Four acres. Mm-hmm. Give me just a second. Um, I'll be right back, okay? Okay. okay. Right, so here is the chicken you'll be enjoying tonight. You have this information. This is fantastic. Absolutely. Uh, his name was Colin. Here are his papers, okay? That's great. He looks like a happy little yeah. friend other chickens as friends. Putting his little wing around another one and kind of like you know, palling around. I don't know that I can speak to that level of uh, intimate knowledge about him. Um, they do a lot to make sure that their chicken... And you, and you feel... And you, and you have a good relationship with this farm? We I do. But it's not some guy on a yacht who lives in Miami. Oh, who's goodness, just no. saying that he's organic. It's just, it tears at the core of my being the idea of someone just cashing in on a trend like organic. No, I know the type. No. Yeah. Um, tell you what, we're going to go check it out if you don't mind. Just no. to get to fold our seats. Oh, no, no. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll be right back. We'll just to make sure... Just, you know... Just, okay. Thank you so much, Dana. Sure, sure. It's a little funny to talk, like, just poke fun at the people that care that much about food, the foodies, the hipsters, whoever they are, some of you, sorry. But, you know, we want to make sure that the source is good, especially when we're talking about the gospel. It really matters where it comes from because there are all sorts of, like we talked about last week, fake gospels that are out there. And there are even, some of you have heard of things called, like, the gospel of Judas, Okay, what about that? What about that book? Why isn't that in the Bible? So we're going to touch on a lot of those things today because that's what Paul was addressing, and we're going to go a little bit beyond that. But I want you to look in your Bibles at Galatians chapter 1, starting in verse 11. Paul says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. So our section that we're going to cover today that's going to go all the way to chapter 2, verse 10, uh, this, these two verses are really the, the topic, thesis sentence, right? For those of you who are English teachers or in school still, you know, this is the topic sentence, okay? Paul is saying, hey, this gospel that I'm telling you right now, I didn't get it from somebody else. I got it from Jesus himself. And that's what he's going to explain in this section. Because it's about the source that's important. Now, Paul um, is defending himself as an apostle. Now, something that we do, we have these uh, 13 letters that Paul wrote. He wrote them to different churches and to individuals. And sometimes it's reading someone else's mail. That's basically what it is. But what makes it difficult is we're reading a letter and we only read one side. 
So we don't know everything that was going on, and we have to do something that a lot of people call mirror reading. Mirror reading, like you put up a mirror because we only have one side of the story. But what you can tell from this section is Paul is defending himself as an apostle, which means if you mirror that, somebody was probably challenging him and his gospel, saying, can you believe that Paul guy? Can you believe him? He wasn't one of the 12 original apostles. Can we listen to him? And if you look back in in verse 1 that we started last week, Paul said, I am Paul writing this, an apostle sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father. So he starts out there immediately saying, I'm an apostle. Jesus sent me. He told me this gospel and I'm telling it to you. And that's really important. So we're going to have to mirror read a little bit today and through this whole letter so we can kind of figure out what the situation was. Because what was happening in these Galatian churches were people were coming in and they were teaching a different gospel. And a lot of people call them Judaizers because they were coming out of the Jewish Jewish faith and they're saying, okay, I like Jesus, he's a great guy, but if you're going to believe in him, you also need to do all this Jewish stuff. You need to be circumcised, as we'll see here a little bit, because that was a very Jewish thing. You've got to follow all our rules and regulations about what to eat, what religious celebrations to do, if you want to be saved. It wasn't enough to believe in Jesus Christ like we talked about last week. You also had to do these extra things, and Paul is addressing that. He's saying, no, 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 no. I got the gospel from the source, Jesus himself, and that's what matters. And in case you're wondering, well, hey, what is the gospel? I wasn't here, Matt, last week. I don't know what the gospel is. I'm going to tell you. And if you want, you can go on our website. We've got the audio and the video up there now. You can find that under the media. So you can go back, and if you missed that first episode, you can catch up. Just like Netflix, right? It's on demand. So I, I, I wanted to show you this Gospel, which is clearly presented in one sentence in verse 4 of Galatians chapter 1. Paul says, Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. That's the gospel. The word gospel means good news. It's the good news that this man Jesus came from God to save us from our sins. To forgive us, to give us eternal life. God had this plan, according to the will of God, to rescue us from our sin and from destruction. Believe in him. That's the gospel in one sentence right there in verse 4. So now you know what the gospel is. That's the gospel Paul is preaching. And gospel is this the original gospel. And what Paul's going to do here in this next section is explain how he got the gospel. Because he wasn't one of the original 12 that followed Jesus. Paul, that isn't even his real name originally. His real name was Saul. He was a guy named Saul, and he was actually just very zealous for the law of God. He had studied what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. He knew it backwards and forwards. He was following every rule he could. He was part of a sect called the Pharisees who thought we were the most righteous because we follow every single law to the letter of the law. We do everything right. We are righteous. And he thought he was so righteous that when this Christian group came along and Jesus came and said, you know, there's freedom, there's grace, just... You can be forgiven. Jesus said, I have fulfilled the law. And all these different things are changing that we'll talk about in this book. He got pretty upset. Paul, Saul at the same time, and a lot of guys with him that were Jewish were really angry. And Saul was so zealous, such a righteous Jew, that he persecuted Christians. He was there when Stephen, who was an early Christian preacher, started preaching. And Jews got so angry, the crowd got In a frenzy, they threw stones at him and killed him. Saul was there nodding in approval. He thought, good, we need to crush this Christian uprising. Get rid of it. 
He was so zealous that he was going around the world, not just in Israel. He wanted to go everywhere he could to persecute Christians and arrest them and kill them. And in fact, that's what he was doing on the road to a town called Damascus, which is in present-day Syria. He was going to Damascus to arrest Christians. And on the road to Damascus, something crazy happened. He was there and bam! There's this voice from heaven, this blinding light. Okay? He was blinded by the light long before Manfred Mann's earth band came around, right? He was blinded by the light and he heard this voice that said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he's like, who, who is this? He said, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. Jesus appeared to Saul and spoke to him and said, you're going to need to go into Damascus and there's this man I want you to meet named Ananias. Ananias. So Saul then was blinded by light for three days. The other people with him saw this light and they heard something, but they couldn't really see what was going on. They, they didn't see Jesus. They knew something happened. And Saul went into this town, met this man. And, and what happened through this event was that he met Jesus. He met Jesus and Jesus taught him the gospel, the good news that we had just talked about. That he had died for our sins to forgive us, to rescue us from evil. And so he got this gospel and he eventually regained his sight. So he went from someone who persecuted and hated Christians to now saying, I've got to take this gospel to the whole world. In fact, Jesus called him and said, you're going to go to the Gentiles, the non-Jews, and tell them of this good news because everyone needs to hear it. That's what he did. That's what he did. Um, There is a, a group of people today, and maybe some of you are among them, who say, you know, I love Jesus... But Paul, not so much. In fact, there literally is a book called Jesus Have I Loved But Paul. Okay, because some people say, I'm a red-letter Christian. I like what Jesus said, all the things that Jesus taught. But Paul, I'm not so sure about. Because Paul talks about these other issues. I don't, I don't know about him. But the reality is, Paul, that's his name now, he changed it from Saul, and he says, hey, I got this message from Jesus himself. Jesus told him this. Jesus was the one who appeared to him. And told him, hey, this is the gospel, you've got to preach it. And in fact, if you look through the gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the accounts of Jesus' life, they tell that Jesus preached the exact same gospel that Paul did. I want to show you this in a few different places. The very beginning of Jesus' ministry, in Mark 1.14, if we have that up there. In Mark 1.14, um, It says that Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. This is what Jesus said. I must announce the gospel of the kingdom of God to other cities also, because for this I am sent. This is the reason why he was here, to tell people this gospel. And at the very end of his life, in Matthew 25, 14, Jesus said, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached through. Everybody needs to hear this gospel. And this was the gospel he passed on to Saul, now Paul, on the road to Damascus. So, what we read here in this section is that after he got this, in verse 16b, Paul says, My immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were already apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem. 
So Saul, now Paul, gets this gospel and he says, I don't want to consult with the 12 apostles who are in Jerusalem and all those other Christians because Jesus gave this to me. I want to make sure it's pure. So he immediately went into this area called Arabia. And I have some maps up here. And in case you're wondering, this isn't um, Saudi Arabia that we know today. It's more like the Arabian Desert, which is in the uh, modern-day country of Jordan. This is where Paul went first. He probably started preaching there. He was kind of alone for about a period of three years, telling people about this gospel. Weren't other Christians around. And, And then he went back into Damascus, a town in Syria, before, after about three years, finally going into Jerusalem. So for three years, he was preaching the same gospel. And then he says, even when I was in Jerusalem, I only spent about two weeks there. And I only met Peter, and I met James, who was Jesus' brother. And he, too, had a pretty amazing conversion because he thought his brother was crazy until he said he would die and rise from the dead. And then that happened, and then James says, well, I better believe in this guy. And he actually wrote a letter we have called James. So... Paul spent about two weeks with those guys, not a ton of time. It wasn't like he spent years with them learning the gospel and all this stuff, because he already knew it. He already knew it. And then after that, just two weeks there in Jerusalem, he went again to go preach, and he went up north. We have another map there. He went up north into Syria um, and into Cilicia, which is modern-day Turkey, and that's probably where his hometown of Tarsus was in Cilicia. So he went all over the world, away from Jerusalem, because he said, Jesus called me, Jesus told me the gospel. I don't need other people to tell me the gospel. My job is to tell other people about it. I am an apostle called by God, by Jesus himself. So why, why is Paul telling us all this history Remember, we're trying to mirror read. Well, it's probably because people were challenging him and saying, Paul, you got that gospel from somebody else. And maybe you messed it up. Maybe you got it from Peter. Yeah, that's fine. But then you messed it up in transmission. It's like a game of telephone. Okay, you heard it and then you messed it up and gave it to somebody else. And Paul says, no, 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 no. I got it straight from Jesus. <laughs> he told me, he, just like he told them, the gospel. And now I'm telling you, he wants to make sure that people know that this is 100% pure, what he's telling them. And this history proves that out. Uh, And then finally, um, he did go back to Jerusalem after a a period of about 14, 15 years. And it says in chapter 2, verse 2, he says, Finally, meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, the twelve apostles, I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. So he's been at this for a decade and a half, preaching the same gospel message. And now finally he, he tells them, hey, this is what I've been preaching. He's spending now a prolonged time in Jerusalem with these leaders. And they confirm everything he said. They're like, yeah, you got it right. We were with Jesus. You're saying the same thing. You must have got it from Jesus too. And it's not that he needed their approval, but they were confirming, yeah, you're saying the exact same thing we're saying. This is amazing. But what happened was, I mentioned those Judaizers, they were coming in and they were kind of distorting the gospel. There were other people other than the 12 apostles, other than Paul, that were trying to change it and saying, you've got to do these extra things, these Jewish rules, if you want to be saved. And in verse 5, Paul says, he, along with all the other apostles, it says, we did not give in to them for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. We didn't change it, we didn't alter it, we didn't modify it. And he says in verse 6, whatever they work makes no difference to me. 
I, I should look up here. They added nothing. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. So I'm giving you all this exact same message that they were preaching. I preach it a little differently because I talk to different people, but it's the same message. You got that? Just uh, this last week, I, I saw a news story about um, the uh, movie, uh, what is it called? The Fate of the Furious, the, the new Fast and Furious movie, which like 10 billion people around the world have seen. You know, it's huge, right? Around other countries, the Fate of the Furious, the Fast and Furious just doesn't sound as good. And one in particular, they changed the title in Japan. In Japan, they call it Wild Speed Icebreak. Because that sounds like the fate of the furious, right? But, but that's what you have to do when you're adapting a title or a message, right, for another audience, especially if it's a different culture. So what Paul does, it, it sounds a little different than maybe some of the Gospels. It sounds a little bit different than what we read in First Peter, a letter by Peter. But it's the exact same Gospel. It's just in a different cultural, a different language. Paul was mainly speaking to Greek people. So he's addressing them in a certain way, but telling the same Gospel that Peter would have told to Jewish people. It's the same gospel, same message, the exact same thing that they got from Jesus. And that's why in verse 9, it says, James, Cephas, who, that's another name for Peter, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. They said, Paul, you're preaching the same thing that we are. This is amazing. You're with us. Awesome. You got this message from Jesus himself. And that's why we have these 13 letters in our New Testament that Paul wrote. Because the other apostles were saying, you're an apostle just like us. Jesus himself sent and called you. So this is so important for us to figure out because everything that Paul writes, these 13 letters, including Galatians, are the gospel from Jesus. The gospel from Jesus. And in fact... From the very beginning, they were considered holy scripture. Peter, who was, you know, Jesus' right-hand man in 2 Peter 3.15. He says, Our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand. If you've read some of the Bible, sometimes you're like nodding along. Yes, even Peter couldn't understand some of the stuff Paul wrote. His letters contain some things which are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable, unstable people distort, as they do what? The other scriptures. Peter, from the very beginning, knew that Paul's letters were scriptures. This is God-breathed work. This is from Jesus. We've got to read it. We've got to understand it. We've got to trust it. It's the scripture. So I wanted to take a break from this passage, because I think you've, you've started to get it. I know I've gotten a little... Dive deep in there. But I want you to understand where we got our New Testament, the Bible. The Bible is split into two different sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. There's 39 books in the Old Testament. That's what we had before Jesus. Jesus said, hey, Scripture cannot be broken. He trusted it. He loved the Old Testament. But then this New Testament tells what happened from Jesus on. Jesus into the early church. And there's 27 books in the New Testament, four telling four different accounts of Jesus' life, and they all match up. They all tell the same gospel about this one man named Jesus who came to rescue us from sin. And then there's the book of Acts, which tells the history of the early church. And there's 13 letters by Paul and some other letters. And we read all of this, and all of it was written 
within the first generation of people who knew Jesus. This is so important. I have a timeline up here. I have a timeline up here, and we're not going to go too deep into it, but I want you to see here that all of these New Testament books were written within the first generation of Jesus' life. James was probably the first letter written, maybe around 42, 45 A.D. And then I want you to see Galatians, probably the very first letter Paul wrote, maybe as early as 48 to 49 A.D. So this is within 15, 20 years of Jesus' death, which we think was around 30 or 33 A.D. And all of them, nearly all of them, were written before 70 A.D. Now, I find this one of the most convincing arguments for why we can date these letters and time. And from that day until today, the temple has never been rebuilt. And yet none of the New Testament authors mention that. This was so important. The temple and the high priest in the temple. None of that has happened since 70 AD, and yet not a single letter mentions that. I think if that was happening, that one of these guys would have at least said something. Hey, remember when the Romans came in and destroyed the temple? Now, the only exception may be uh, the letters and books that John wrote. And a lot of people even date those before 70 AD because they don't mention it either. They don't mention it either. But John was the youngest of the 12 disciples. He was the only one not martyred. He lived a very long life, as history tells us. So he may have written those letters and books later into the 80s and 90s AD. But as you can see, I have this up here so you, so you can tell that all of these were written within the first generation. All these people knew Jesus or knew somebody who knew Jesus. So when someone wrote about what happened in the book of Matthew, people could have gone and talked to Matthew, or they could have found the people that Luke interviewed. That's what he said. He interviewed eyewitnesses. They could have gone to Luke and said, hey, where did you hear that story? They could have gone to the person and talked to them. Disproved all of it. But that didn't happen. In fact, more and more letters were written, more and more books were written, because everyone wanted to know about Jesus, and Jesus completely changed the world. These 12 apostles went out into the entire known world at the time. Simon, we here in tradition, went down into northern Africa. Thomas went east into modern-day Iran and Afghanistan, maybe as far as India. A lot of them went up into Europe, and the gospel spread all around the world. Why? These guys were eyewitnesses, and they were telling the gospel that they had seen. And Paul, in the same way, well, in a slightly different way, he calls himself one abnormally born, which is a weird phrase, and what he means by that is he saw Jesus after he had died and rose from the dead, appeared to him on that road and taught him the gospel. So he's a little bit different than the 12 disciples, but he knows the same Jesus. These guys were first-hand witnesses of Jesus. So this is so important. This is so important. So sometimes you hear from people that these New Testament writings that we have, Galatians 2, and they say, well, you know, haven't they been kind of corrupted by translation? You know, aren't there errors in these things? And it is true that we don't have the original written document that Paul wrote in Galatians, but we have copies of it. You see, the, the paper that they used at the time didn't last for very long, so they had to make copies and copies and copies. And that's what they did. We have hundreds and thousands of manuscripts of all these writings from the Bible, hundreds and thousands. One scholar said, you can't count them, you weigh them. Because we have so many copies of these books. So many of them. And um, one of my professors at Denver Seminary, a guy named Craig Blomberg, has written a few different books on this. And if you're really interested in this topic, read some of his books. There's one called, Can We Trust? Can We Still Trust the Bible? And if you want a really long one, there's one called The Historical Reliability of the New Testament. There's a good 800 pages that will keep you up for a few nights. 
But I challenge you to read those because these professors, these scholars have looked at it and said, hey, we know what we have in these manuscripts. And the errors that people talk about are like spelling errors. Or when you go from one culture to the next, maybe they'll change a word so that it makes more sense in Africa than it would in Israel. And if you look at all these different changes that there are, Craig Blomberg said that there's, he said only about a tenth of 1% are interesting enough to make their way to footnotes and most, in most English translations. So you'll see in a footnote if there's a word that we're like, okay, we have one manuscript that says this, another one that says this. So you, you make your decision. So one-tenth of 1% are even interesting enough to put in here. And they put every single one in there in the New Testament, that these interesting ones. And he says this, No orthodox doctrine or ethical practice of Christianity depends solely on any disputed wording. Nothing that we believe that is the foundation of our faith, the gospel itself in particular, is changed at all by these variations. There's only two in the entire New Testament that are more than two verses. And we know what they are, and you'll read them in your Bible, and they'll probably be italicized, and there'll be a footnote explaining, okay, we're not 100% sure because this wasn't in the very first manuscript that we do have. There's only two of those. So we can be confident that this New Testament we have is not corrupt. It's not hopelessly corrupt. It is trustworthy and reliable. The Gospels, I see a couple of people nodding. Okay, I challenge you to read them because they're terrible. Okay, these Gospels and books that we have in the New Testament were written, like I said, within the first generation. Those other Gospels were all written 100, 200, 300, 600 years after Jesus died. They weren't written by the people, by people that just wanted to mess you up <laughs> and lead you astray. And they're inaccurate. They're, they contradict the things that are written in this book that is a lot closer to the time of the events that they talk about. It would be like somebody going to the movie or, or renting it, because I think it's now... On video, maybe it went straight to video. Abraham Lincoln, vampire. I've never seen it, but if you would have seen that and said, oh, look what they left out in the history books. Look what they left out. Oh, my gosh. They corrupted our Bible. It's absurd. And that's what these are. I've read a lot of them. And you're just like, that's ridiculous. That didn't happen. It's like a cartoon almost. And some of them, the people I think wrote them, knew that it was fiction, but they just wanted to you know, sell a few copies of their manuscript. <laughs> We can trust these things. And in addition to that, there are some other really good books from the early church. There's a book called the Didache. There's another one called the Shepherd of Hermes. Um, there's another uh, series of letters by a guy named Clement. And they're good. They're good to read. But they weren't people who actually knew Jesus. They weren't written by them. They were written by others later. So they're good to read and study, but they're not scripture. Paul and Peter knew what they were writing was scripture, that they were being carried along by the Holy Spirit, that Jesus had given them this message to tell others. And there's another uh, lie that's circulating out there that says, well, it was the church who decided what goes in the Bible. Have you heard that before? People will say that in 325 AD, the Council of Nicaea came together and they voted to decide what goes in the Bible. Well, for one thing, I don't think there actually was a vote if you look at it historically. What they did was this group came together and they said, hey, these 27 books that we've been using for a couple hundred years, let's make sure that's our list of books that we use. Okay, you guys have been using that same, those same books? Great. That's what they decided. There was no vote. They just affirmed what had already been believed for hundreds of years. There's all these lies floating around about the Bible, but I challenge you to read it yourself. I challenge you to read some of those other books yourself. Study it. 
Because what we have, this gospel, is trustworthy because it's from the source. In fact, in 2 Peter 1.16, Peter says, We did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So when you're putting all this together, let's go back to verses 11 and 12, which I said were the thesis sentence, the topic sentence of this passage. Paul said, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. So this is how we get to our big idea that I want you to leave here today. I want you to trust the gospel. I want you to trust the gospel because it's from the source, Jesus himself. Trust it. You can trust this gospel that we have. You can believe it because we got it from the source, Jesus himself. Jesus gave it and told it to his 12 disciples, and they wrote it down. They told others about it. And Paul met Jesus himself, and that's where he got his gospel. It's from Jesus. Don't trust me. Trust God's word. Trust the gospel. So, if you're thinking about it, some of you are still saying, well, Matt, I have questions, I have doubts. That's okay. That's okay. I want you to challenge them. Okay, I want you to say, is that true? Is that? Let it keep you up at night. Think about it. Pray about it. Chew on it. Read some books. Try to study for yourself. But at some point, we need to just trust the gospel. And I say this because you do this every day in other aspects of your life. There's the chair that you go home to every day. Some of you are going to go home and and get a good nap this afternoon. You sit in your chair that you've sat in for years, and when you sit down, you don't feel around. Is it it going to hold me up? You don't look under it to make sure that the support's still in there. You're just going to sit in your chair, right? Because every time you sit in it, it's held you up so far. Yes, maybe it could collapse under your weight, but you're going to trust that it's going to hold you up, right? Or the house that you're going home to this afternoon, the apartment or whatever, and a sinkhole may open up and suck you alive underneath, right? There's a chance that could happen, but you're probably going to trust the sidewalk and walk along, right? So in the same way, we, we look at this God's word, and in itself, without any of that historical evidence, we could say that it's true. We know it's good. We've read it. We've studied it. We've applied it to our life, and, and it's true. It's good. So... We still may have some doubts. We still may have some questions, but let's trust it. You could go the rest of your life never sitting in your chair, never going home again, never walking on the sidewalk, but then you'd be a loon, as the British say, right? You're going to trust those things, and we should trust the gospel as well. So my challenge today, will you trust it? Will you read it? Will you study it? Will you try to apply it to your life? Um, I recommend for those of you who are still having some questions about this, there's a movie right now in theaters called The Case for Christ. Go see it. In fact, the book that it was based on included an interview with that, Craig Blomberg, who was one of my professors. So go see that movie. That's pretty easy to do, right? How do you like that as an application for this? Go see a movie. Okay, that, That's one thing. Or, or maybe you need to get one of those books by Craig Blomberg or other Bible scholars who can tell you, yeah, you can trust the Bible. You can trust it. I want you to study this. I want you to read it. But, but the last thing I want you to do is to try to put into practice the things that are written in it. And then that's really going to prove to you how true it is. Um, 
Dwight Moody, the, the great evangelist, said that the Bible was not given for our information, but for our transformation. So we want to read it. We want to know that it's true and we can rely on it. But then you have to put it into practice. We do have to trust it and rely on it. So try it in your life. Just try some of the things that are written in it, okay? I don't know if I believe it all, but just try it. Just test it. See if it's right. And then the last thing, some of you may have some other questions. <laughs> some of you have some other questions. Um, and I, I know that this is, sermon in particular is one that could bring up lots of questions for you, maybe some particular things that you've heard, some lies that are out there, or you read one thing. You know. So if you have questions like that, um, on the screen behind me, I have this number that you can text. Okay, So if you give me these questions, I haven't figured out how I'm going to respond to them, but I'm going to figure it out this week. So if you have a question, you can email it to me. I think that's in the bulletin, my email address. Or you can text this number. So you can, what you have to do is first text Matt Wolf 435 that's my name, to 22333, and then you join, and then you can text 22333 with your question. Got that? So I'm going to leave that up here for a minute. I think it's also in your bulletin there. But if you have a question, I'm going to do my best to respond to them in, in some way. I'll figure it out this week, okay? Does that sound good? So you can text those questions, email them. Um, I might not be able to get to every single one, but I'm going to try. Um, and if I don't know the answer, I'll tell you that too. But this Bible we have, this gospel, this New Testament is trustworthy. It's reliable. And I challenge you to trust it. It's so good. It will change your life for the better. And we know where it came from. The source, right? Jesus himself. Let's trust it. So I'm going to say a prayer and then Bill's going to come and, and close us out. Lord, um, Thank you that we could be here this morning, um, that we could learn a little bit more about the Bible, about the New Testament, where it came from, and where the gospel itself came from. I pray that people in here wouldn't just take my word for it, but that they would study it for themselves, that they would read it, that they would apply it, that they would live it out, so that we can all move forward from today trusting your word, trusting the gospel, because it's so good, and I don't want anyone here to miss it. Lord, thank you for sending your son, Jesus to die for us and to rescue us from evil. And I pray that we would be blessed. Amen.